Our presentation at uh, lunch today will start out with uh, about half an hour presentation by Dave Lawson. And then we'll uh, eat lunch and then another half hour after that, starting at about 1 o'clock, uh, a question and answer period. So hopefully uh, hopefully this works better for Dave than it does for me. Our speaker today is Dave Lawson. Dave is a world-renowned local community member. Uh, he's been supporting people with developmental disabilities in our community uh, for 30 years. Uh, for the past four years uh, specifically, and I know he's known to a lot of Lethbridge uh, community members, he's been the executive director of the Lethbridge Association for Community Living, um, a huge uh, advocate of people with uh, developmental disabilities, to the extent that I just heard him talking with our lo one of our local politicians about some of the things that are, that are going on, um, standing up for, for those that need uh, advocacy. Uh, the LACL is a local organization that provides support and advocacy for people with developmental disabilities. Dave is also involved in other organizations and groups uh, for advocating for people with disabilities uh, in general. Um, and I believe this year is the 50th anniversary of LACL, isn't it? Uh, actually, that's past. We're 53. 53 this year. Okay, excellent. Without further ado, I'll uh, let Dave come up and do his talk on obstacles for and needs of persons with disabilities. I was joking with Susan earlier that uh, because I have been in this community so, for so many years that uh, I, get, I get seldom seen as an expert. I'm usually just Dave, and, and that's, that's just fine by me. Uh, if I get out of town, then I, then I can be an expert, but uh, people know me too well here to classify me as, as an expert. So, um, uh, Susan's right. I will be talking about uh, some of the obstacles faced by people with developmental disabilities, uh, but as well to, to talk lots about what the community's role is in, in making sure that people with developmental disabilities are meaningfully engaged in their community. I uh, came up here with, uh, I know, don't be uh, concerned about the size of my notes here. Uh, what I've done, I was in to see my eye doctor, and uh, we ran over the, he, he suggested that it was time for bifocals or, or progressive lenses. And, and I said, well, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm still in transition. He says, no, no, Dave, you're not. You, you clearly need these. I said, no, that's not where I'm in transition. I'm in transition from acceptance to denial on, on how old I'm becoming. So... <laughs> I always think it's interesting that, that places like our organization, LACL, proud to be 53 years old, and but you know, people, they'll just say, oh, yeah, I'm not that old. But, but anyway, maybe, maybe that's a reality we, we all have to face. So I am going to talk about the importance of, of having or creating welcoming and inclusive communities and uh, some of the obstacles that people with developmental mental disabilities face in achieving full citizenship. I'm also going to, going to talk about creating opportunities uh, for, real, for real community engagement through our connection with others. Um, what, what we're really striving for is that 
that sense of belonging to be to be part of and uh, that that's something that's fulfilling for and meaningful for all of us and it, that's no different for a person with a with a disability as well we all search for that that sense of belonging and gonna as we all know canada is a democratic democratic country that takes lots of uh requires intensive public involvement in in to make that process work in the past we thought of civic engagement primarily as a, a formal process that engaged uh, mainstream citizens in the electoral process in in voting or running for office but over time, we've realized how important it is to embrace the diversity and that everybody needs to participate in that process, in a decision-making process, and, and those things that change laws and, and ultimately attitudes. Um, so we recognize, uh, we've been able to, to recognize how, how diversity enhances, enhances community, and, uh, and, and it's just... We, but yet we still have people that are, seem to be outside of mainstream community, and that could be true for, for some citizens with developmental disabilities. The Lethbridge, organization for, uh, the Lethbridge Association for Community Living the Association that I work for uh, was created by families that, that knew that their son or daughter had an important contribution to make in their lives because it's easy to do when, you're, when, when, it's, when it's your family member, you spend time with them and you realize how much they enhance your life and how much they contribute and, and, and possibly inspire you. I think we've all, uh, we're probably lonely when we turn TV on these days now that the Olympics are over, but when Alex Bellotto won that medal, the first gold medal for Canada on Canadian so soil, and to see what an inspiration his brother, Frederick, had been to him in, in, in that achievement, and, and in fact, he would have never chosen to be a, a skier and to do mogul skiing if, if Frederick had, uh, if that wasn't a, a better sport for, Fred, for his brother to play. So that was a, a, a moment of national pride that really was made possible by, by the fact that this family had, had a, member, a family member with a disability. So it obviously has, has greater effects than, and greater potential on just on how families are positively impacted by having a family member with a disability. And that needs to be shared with the community and as well the people, we're, we're, we're poorer off if we don't allow people with developmental dis disabilities to make that, that contribution. So we brag about being families coming together 53 years ago uh, to create an organization that would promote the rights of their family members to be part of part of a community, especially in a time when uh, families were essentially only finding custodial care for for anything for as far as any supports or services in the community, and at that time were being told that their family member needed to be sent to an institution, and there is is where they'd be best cared for, and they would live apart from family and segregation. The the thing, this was a, a common practice throughout North America in the treatment of people with developmental disabilities, but and it also has a, a documented history of abuse and neglect. The, the institutions would function exempt from the Health Act, which allowed for overcrowding and uh, unsanitary conditions. As well, in Alberta, we had the, the Sexual Sterilization Act, which, which allowed them to uh, sterilize people without their consent, uh, citizens of this, of this uh, province. And, and you often think of what it was that would allow society to, if they were aware of it, to let that, that continue up until it did in 1972 when it was revealed, uh, repealed for being, well, indefensible for one thing and, and uh, immoral. But... Uh, 
you could see how that would perpetuate that that these people wouldn't have a place in the real community if this was the sort of treatment that was that was offered to them. Um, so during uh, during when when around the time when LACL was created, it was when families knew that that their family members had a rightful place in this community. And they got together and they did things like they, they built in Lethbridge, they built the Dorothy Gooder School. And so because kids with disabilities weren't welcomed in, in the regular schools, they needed to, to demonstrate that these kids could, could learn and that teachers could teach them if they took the time to recognize the unique learning styles of every child. So along with that, uh, as, we, as we realized, it was segregated, but at least it was, the, it was able to demonstrate that kids had, had obviously had some value in and were worth investing that education in. Um, when, uh, w- as people recognized the value of, of children with disabilities in the community, then there was a push for uh, the community living movement where people would be re- repatriated back to their communities and and they would, and what sprang up around them was supports and services uh, for for the, them to have a home in the community. What we we often found, though, that those services kind of provided the service in a vacuum. That they were people were in a neighborhood, but they were just in their homes, and that was their address, and weren't weren't really meaningfully engaged within that neighborhood, and possibly within the community as we moved from that custodial care, that it was, the perception was that all their needs were being met by paid professionals. So what role does the community really have in the lives of people with disabilities? Um, because services fo- only focused on the indiv- in individuals with developmental disabilities, the community, that was the observation of communities, that there was special places or special services for, for people with disabilities. And it could certainly believe, lead the community or community members to believe that they have no role in the lives. These people are surrounded by professionals, experts, uh, promoting themselves as highly trained and capable, and no doubt they are. But it it does tend to then alienate the community from people with with disabilities if they're seen to have all their needs met and we don't have a a valued place in their lives and and they might not have one in ours. Um, Many people with developmental disabilities then would have few relationships outside of family. And we know how important uh, relationships are in enriching all our lives. And what we're, we're, we're seeing now is the phenomenon that people with disabilities are now outliving their, their parents. And there's concerns on, on what will happen to my family member once I'm no longer, longer able to care for them. And, and uh, so it's really important that, that people with disabilities do create these, these relationships in the community. And, and those services, that should be the focus that they, they, they nurture, they explore, and, and they allow these natural relationships to, to evolve, and, uh, it, which will bring more meaning to our lives, uh, to, to their lives, but obviously it enriches the community and, our, and ourselves in a much deeper way as well. We, we now have a generation that... Um, has lived in the community, and and we have a, an excellent opportunity to uh, to make sure that that uh, they are that our community benefits from the contribution that people with development mental disabilities are able to make. Uh, I ran across a quote, 
and I'm going to give it credit to the author, which I'm sorry, I don't have any bio information, but it, it's Seymour Saracen. And he says, before we start experimenting, it would be wise to find out what occurs in the natural situation. And I think that segregating people from their natural community was an experiment that failed. And now we're finding out what naturally happens. And once people take their rightful place in the community, and, uh, and when that happens, we see... We see good things. We know that the more connected people are to their community, the safer they are. The more people that know their name and their routine uh, will makes them less vulnerable when uh, when they're in the community and they are connected with others and are seen to be connected with others, making making a contribution, whether it be social or economic or, or what it might be. It still makes people uh, safer through engagement. Um, the ability to create um, to create positive relationship with others is it's critical that, that people do that in the right place. That kids are included in in the regular classroom in school with the regular routines and the regular and the same subject matter as their peers, and uh, when and that should carry on all throughout school. We find that uh, there can be challenges to keeping these inclusive uh, opportunities going as kids might move into middle school where where their peers everybody is kind of starting to define themselves by who they are and who they're with and what they look like and these these sorts of things but as time goes by later in high school we find there's lots of opportunities for redemption for these relationships these friendships that were created in elementary school and and obviously go beyond school they go into the the different the different areas such as recreation and sports and those sorts of things so and, and we also, we believe, and I think everybody believes, that no disability precludes citizenship. Nothing, nothing can get in the way of that. And when, so I've talked lots about citizenship, and I think we all have an idea of what that is and what real civic engagement is in, involved in the community. So I, I just I could describe it as uh, um, citizenship has the rights and responsibilities that can be made, that are made real by ensuring all citizens have access to education, work, technology, health care, and protection under law. I think only then will we experience that true sense of belonging in a community when that's available to everybody. We often talk about developing the community's capacity to to meet the needs of, of marginalized populations or, or people that uh, that may be vulnerable vulnerable uh, without the proper supports or without the, the proper uh, community supports. And often, what we do is we turn to government and get them to fund services and and see if that's going to going to bring these people back into the mainstream of community and have them more uh, socially and civically and, and uh, economically engaged. Uh, the thing is, we, we you can talk to any marginalized person or poor person, and they will have been through many services. And and even as they they can recount the services they've been through, we're not sure anything has fundamentally changed for for those people if there's not that genuine community engagement that goes along with that. So it's a perception that services or fun, government funded services are going to be the ones that are going to have our, our family members or people with developmental disabilities be more involved in our community they can facilitate those explore and uh, those opportunities but really it's up to all of us to to be mindful of of when uh when those opportunities present themselves to us as well Um, services 
the problem with services is they the first thing they do is they look at the deficits of the individual or what's wrong with the individual and then it becomes uh, they become a client they become a, a case number and they get the focus of that expertise that deals with that particular deficit or or, or limitation and and often it, it's hard for them to see the, the the full person what happens is then it can be people can become engulfed in those services and dependent on those services, which obviously makes it is detrimental to, to the person and to us as a community as well if it, if it does continue to keep them apart from, uh, from the natural supports of the community and natural resources of the community. Um, John McKnight is uh, really a leading light when it comes to community building and uh, in particular including people with, with disabilities and, and they're fulfilling their, their meaningful role in, in our community. He talks about um, focusing on the gifts. Uh, he talks about focusing on the gifts and says that the, the world of community and volunteerism, in the world of volunteerism and community, deficits have no market value. And he also talks a, a key part of, of building community is that he uh, that in uh, community life John sees system, systems as organized groups uh, of funded, well-resourced professionals who operate in the domain of, of cases, clients, and services. Um, McKnight describes associations that are groups of people that came together to do some good. They are welcoming places for all citizens and offer the gifts of abilities. So it's those associations where people come together to do the greater good of the community that tend to be that welcoming place that sees people for what they have to offer. Nobody goes to those and, and, uh, and wants to be part of some project that's going to improve the community or, or improve society. We, we never t ask a volunteer what their limitations are and, and uh, what can't you do. We want to know what they can do and, and, uh, and how they're going to help this project be successful. So McKnight really recognizes the, that it's, it's organizations and associations that do uh, provide that opportunity and accomplish the good work and, and sustainable good work. Um, when he talks, uh, he summarized by saying sustainable transformation is, is constructed in those places where citizens choose to come together to produce the desired future. When, uh, when we talk about I talk about the capacity for community building, and one thing that comes to mind for me is we know the old saying where the pessimist looks at the glass as half empty and the optimist looks at the glass as being half full. I think the community leaders look at the potential within that glass and the potential for the empty part and to add to what's already in there. So I think that's a way that community builders look at the community as well. Um, I think that uh, as we we look closely at people with developmental disability and their rightful place in our community, we really also need to look at um, the community's right and services rightful place in the lives of, of people with disability as well. Uh, we do see um, there's there's a bit of a shift in thinking. It's to overcome that all the people's needs are met through services, and we know that's not true for any. It's not true for for anybody here in this room or, or beyond. Uh, that all needs can't be met through services. We talk about some of the things that, that happened in, in Lethbridge, and I think in, in, in part because we, we tended to have a, a, a fairly um, 
um, active group of parents, but also many enlightened citizens that were uh, willing to to look at change. And I often hear about stories of success that where where there's been opportunities for the natural inclusion, and it just happens as if uh, well, of course, you're that family member or that person with a disability would be. I was talking to my colleague Lori, and her son Zach is eight years old and has has autism, and she had signed him up for soccer, not knowing how how welcomed he would be in that and once the coach picked Zach's name she she took the time to sit down with him and said you know my son Zach has has autism and but he really wants to be part of a team now he may not he may not be a very good player he might not even understand what's going on in the field but I do know it's important he's with his teammates so he'll be here every practice and he'll be here every every game so if you can let Zach at least be here and he'll take part in practices and he can sit on the bench for games and uh, the coach said to said to Laurie he said Zach is going to be a full member of this team and I'm going to make sure that he is and the kids are going to make sure that he is and any kid that doesn't want Zach to be part of this team is not going to be part of this team and wouldn't be welcomed on this team. So, And, and of course it's very warming for, for Lori when she finds her son being so readily accepted in our community in a, a natural activity that, that all kids would participate in. Um, I have uh, I have a Friends, a married couple, and both both people have a developmental disability. And I met them, probably come, came to know them about uh, six or seven years ago. So in my mind, these folks are a couple. They've they've always been together. They've uh, they've always made their way. They they volunteer in the community. They work for Habitat for Humanity. They volunteer for Habitat. They volunteer at bingos and and they they cut their neighbor's lawn and shovel sidewalks. And I think that. Uh, isn't that, aren't they fortunate that, uh, that they, they've created a welcoming neighborhood and community and, and have fairly rich lives? But as you get to know them and talk to them, there's no struggle, there's no small struggles to get to where they were. The thought that 20 years ago they would be able to be married, both having disabilities, they got, uh, I think many of us get it, you're not ready to be married. But when you think about it, lots of us are not ready to be married when we get married. <laughs> So, and so these amazing folks, and, and then they talk about some of the discrimination they felt, and, and some of the pressures, and, and, and really, the people that were supposed to possibly help them make decisions in life were, were saying that it, it wasn't possible. So, I, and when they talk about all the challenges it was to become a couple and, and be married, I, I asked them how it, it actually came to be, and they said, well, our love for each other was gonna was gonna persevere beyond anyone that told us we couldn't, and and they they were seeking out people that would support them, and and they did indeed, and our community is once again richer for for their contribution, and uh, this amazing couple that I'm pleased, uh, my wife and I are pleased to have them in our our lives as well. Um, so when we talk about welcoming inclusive communities and the potential for positive peer relationship with others. We might, we can say, what's our job? We do lots of fundraising in the community because we are independent from government funding. And when we go into the community and we say, here's what we're doing, here's our mandate, and uh, often we'll get from businesses or people saying, well, what does... How do I include a person with disability? How do I know people with disabilities? Are they, and uh, so 
there, if there's no chance for that, that connection, then there's, there's no chance this person willing to include will know, uh, will be able to. We also do find businesses so that say, oh, yeah, we, we employ so-and-so and, and we're connected with so-and-so. And uh, it, it's really important when employers recognize that uh, people with disabilities can actually enhance their bottom line, which is why they're in, in business in the first place. If they find a dependable employee that's very productive and tends to have a a good effect on team building. When people are focusing on what they do well on the workplace it, uh, and it allows others to do the same thing, then it does do for that, that collective work that needs to be done. And so it, community building is always very complex. And, it, and, and it, what it really takes is an infinite number of small steps. And I think each of us in this room, if we do look for the opportunity to take one of those small steps in creating that welcoming and inclusive community for people with developmental disabilities will continue us on this, on this journey. We, we, should, we really need to be proud of, of Lethbridge and the things that have been achieved in this town. Uh, but of course, until full inclusion is available for all citizens, not just people with disabilities, but all marginalized or vulnerable populations, then our work be, won't be done as community builders. So. By the work of all of us working together uh, as, as a network, as a team, as community, we'll, we'll all be richer for it. So thanks for listening today, folks. Uh.